Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. I got a testimony, and I'm going to try to keep it as short as I can because I, you know, I could talk for an hour about this. I've been going through something for about a year, Randy and I have. And um, Randy was diagnosed about, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago with autoimmune disease called Sjogren's. It's pretty rare. And uh, over time, it, it, it breaks the body down. Autoimmune disease is obviously your, your immune system starts to attack your own body. And, it, and, it, and, it, and the way they treat it is they give you this strong medicine that depletes your immune system so it can't attack your body. Well, in exchange, everything else that goes on, you know, if you get a cold or you get the flu or something like that, you can't fight it off too well. So it takes, you know, you, it's a constant battle. But for about the first, oh, I don't know, several years, up till about three years ago, it was a minor thing. You know, she'd have some, it, it causes her to have dry mouth. She doesn't supply enough uh, fluid for her joints. She has rheumatoid arthritis. But it, you know, she was percolating along pretty good about three years ago. And, then, and that's the way it do. And you get in the latter stages of it. And you start to have some more serious problems. Well, about a year and a half ago, she broke out with a rash, just a little rash here. Didn't think too much of it. Went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, I don't know. He'll give, give her something for it. It didn't do any good. She went back. He sent her to the dermatologist. The dermatologist looked at her, and he said he gave her something. didn't work. Went back to him. He said, well, he said, I tell you, he said, you're, uh, you're blonde, fair-skinned. You're getting old up in age and said, you're just going to have to deal with it. You get out in the sun, you have that problem. So she came back. She had, a, had an appointment with a rheumatologist who treats Sjogren's. They looked at it said, well, it could, be, it could be the Sjogren's. We don't know. It could be something else. Rocked on. Just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, I mean, it got all over her body. It's big old, I mean, I can't describe it to you. It's terrible. It was just horrible. Big whelps. And she would sting and burn and itch 24-7 without relief. Well, you do that for month after month after month. After a while, you're about ready to slit your throat. I mean, you just, you know, I think it, you know, I don't think Kepper going was, was for a relationship with the Lord. And, uh, and the Lord convicted me of it because, see, in this church, this has always been a healing church, and I was once an elder here for a long time. And our custom was, our tradition was here, we believed in calling for the elders of the church and praying for the sick and laying on hands and having them being healed. And I've been in a many a service like that in the past where I laid hands on people. We had people come here with cancer and they'd, and they'd leave and go to the doctor and the cancer was gone and they couldn't figure out what happened. We had people come here, even our pastor had heart disease. They told him they was going to have to operate on him. We laid hands on him and prayed for him. He went back and he told him, he said, before you operate on me, he said, I want you to run those tests again. And they ran them. They said, you got a heart of a 20-year-old. You don't need any heart. You don't need any operation on your heart. You're healthy as a horse. We had one lady come here. She went to church here. She had cataracts on her eyes. We laid hands on her and prayed for her. Those cataracts fell off. She didn't have to have cataract surgery. She was almost blind, and she walked out of here. She could see. Things like that. So the Lord began to convict me. He said, why aren't you laying hands on her? I was praying for her, like we all do pray for our loved ones. But I hadn't done it. And on last Easter, last weekend was a year ago, it was at its worst. And we came to church, and she, and she was struggling. And, I, and when I got home, 
we got home, we ate, and she, she was really having a, a flare-up is what they call it. It just gets beat red, gets heat in it, tingling, burning, stinging, itching, all over. And I had to go check my water system, and when I got back, she couldn't barely stand to have her clothes on. And the only thing I could do was get cold ice water and bathe her and bathe her for hours. And finally, finally, the Lord shook me. And I started laying hands on her. And I, 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 and a, I took a different approach. I took a radical approach to prayer all of a sudden. What I did, I quit asking the Lord to do something. And I started taking the Lord's word and addressing the devil with it. I started talking to the devil and I started declaring over her. I started declaring over her. I said, you're healed in Jesus' name. And I always pray, pray in the back, Helen and Beth and, and Randy and I and Jennifer and whoever, every Sunday. And we was praying and, I, and, 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 and just so happened Helen was there, just Helen and I. Randy wasn't here. And she said, uh, have you thought about uh, offering, doing the communion every day? We started doing communion every day. Every day we did communion without fail. And we continued to pray. And it wasn't long they found out that it, they thought it was uh, some medicine that she had been on, and it was a medicine that she had been taking for years and years and years. It had nothing related to the Sjogren's, and, it, and it just, her body just started reacting funny to it. And finally, that was the last thing. It took almost a year. It went from June of one year until May of the next before she got relief from it. But, by the, but we, we were wrought a great victory. It was a wonderful victory of God. And we just, oh, we, we danced in the streets. We just praised the Lord. We just had a wonderful time. And we celebrated. And we were celebrating the spoils of victory. But don't ever underestimate the devil. Because while you're celebrating the spoils of victory, he's still scheming. He don't rest. Not one minute does he rest. You don't have a day off. It's like that commercial on TV where you sit, see the parent come in and they're all sick and everything. He said, look, you peeked in on the little boy and said, look, I, I'm going to have to take a day off. You know, I'm, you, know you, you don't have a day off. There's no day off. You can't do that. I don't care what you did. So we went on. All, we went on a trip. We had just everything. Life was good, okay? Life was good till about December. And then December, Randy started getting sick again. But this time it come from a different direction. She started getting a little, like we all do in the change in the season, she started getting a sore throat, coughing, runny nose, that kind of thing. Well, she went to the doctor to get the normal medicine that everybody else gets. Nothing worked. Same thing. Here we are going down this road again. Well, they tell you, the, they tell you when, you get, when you contract Sjogren syndrome that, over, that if you don't take the medicine that they give you, it's, it's got a bad side effect, but if you don't take it, you'll end up being an invalid. In other words, you, you Sooner or later, your body will be broken down to the point that you'll be bedridden. And it can happen, you know, in the latter stages. So you don't know when this bout of sickness is going to be it. And she continued to get worse. She went back to the doctor, and, and they gave her the antibiotics, and they did all the things that, that they do. They treated her, you know, and nothing, nothing helped. She just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And she coughed all the time, day and night. And finally, she got pleurisy. Well, if you've ever had pleurisy, you know, you just take little short breaths. And it got so bad, it just kept getting worse and worse, and she just felt so bad all the time she could barely put one foot in front of the other. But, of course, her, she just kept going. She kept coming to church. She kept coming over here. She kept going on to the prison ministry when she could. You know, Jennifer, she, there was times, Jennifer, Renee, the preacher, I mean, there's several that, that were up close and personal to this thing. And it rocked on. And it was, it was sometime in February. This had been going on for months. And uh, 
I, I came in one day, and Helen would always ask me, well, how's sister? And she wasn't here that day. And I said, well, I said, she's, she's, she's in terrible shape. She's just, she's just almost beyond going. I said, she's just beat down. I said, she's, op she's oppressed. She's depressed. And I said, I'm at my wit's end. I said, I've tried everything. I've prayed. We've prayed. And I said, I've walked the floor. And I, and I wrung my hands, and I said, when I get away from her, I don't want her to see me doing it. But I said, I cry. I said, because it's not supposed to be this way. I'm thinking to myself, dear God, I said, you know, we've, we've served you all these years. We're old now. We're in our 60s. It's time for us to start slowing down. These are supposed to be the golden years. And I could see myself, at best, I could see her being bedridden and me a caregiver for the, for the last days of our lives. That's what I thought I was facing. And she, and, and she thought worse. She thought he was going to kill her. Satan had convinced her. Satan had convinced her. He tore her body down, and he tore her body down to the point to where she started having doubt in her spirit. This is it. You understand? And that doubt transferred into me. And, and by doing that, it was, it, we were just falling apart together. You know, you know, if you've been married very length, much length of time, you know, whatever you do to, together, you do it all together. You, you, you're up here together, you're down here together. If I hurt, you hurt. You understand what I'm saying? We're one flesh. If you're truly one flesh, that's the way it is. And, and, and it, it continued on and on. And so that Sunday, I came without her. And I was sitting back there, and, and Helen asked me about her, and she said, have you fasted? She said, I know you have trouble fasting because... You know, you, you have low blood sugar, and you, you get, you know, you'll faint and all this kind of stuff, and you get bad headaches. And she said, but have you fasted? I said, no. It's the only thing I haven't done. I said, maybe I should. And we, we talked a few minutes, and we came, and I sat right down over there right by myself, and I probably had the longest face of anybody you've ever seen defeated, the most defeated person you've ever seen, the most defeated I've ever been in my life. And I stood right over there, and Dean was right here, and during praise and worship, Dean come over to where I was at, and he told me, he said, uh, he said, we had a meeting the other night about the opening the furniture store, and Randy was there because, you know, she's on the finance committee. And he said, she was so sick. He said, I just looked at her. She sat there so sick, so beat down, so in a bad place. The devil had, you know, he said she was just so sick. And I thought he was going to say to me, let's pray for her. But he didn't. He said, I, I put myself in your place. He said, I don't see how you come home. I, 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 don't, I can't even imagine having to come home and see my wife in that condition day after day after day, knowing, knowing that, that everything you've tried hadn't worked, that nothing that you do, that the prayers and everything that you've done hadn't worked. And he said, but God sent me over here to tell you he's got you back. He's got you back in this. He's got you. And, and that was the first, that's the first time I'd heard, really heard from God right there. And then, and then that Tuesday, I had to take Randy to the doctor. She, along with all this, she was being sick to her stomach. And they sent her to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, which I thought was strange. But they thought that she has trouble with, that the Sjogren's affects her esophagus, and they thought maybe she was having trouble with her esophagus, and that might be the reason why she was sick. So we went to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, and, and she went back in the back, and I waited out in the lobby, and, and in a little bit, a nurse came, and she said, she wants you to come back. So when I went back there, she was sitting in a chair, and the little nurse was 
fixing this machine up. She said, they're going to run this thing down through my nose and down in my throat. She said, and I'm scared. I said, well, it's not going to be, I mean, you know, I kind of comfort. It's not going to be that bad, you know. And the nurse walked out. She said, no, you don't understand. She said, I'm scared. She said, the doctors hadn't touched it. Nothing that they've done has helped. I'm no better today than I was two and a half months ago or two months ago, whenever this started. She said, nothing, not one iota am I better at all. And she said, the only way I'm going to get healed is if God heals me. And she said, it's up to you. She looked at me and she said, it's up to you. It's up to you to, to pray. Because she said, I'm in such a weakened condition. My spirit has been damaged. I mean, that's what she was saying. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what she was saying. My spirit has been damaged. My body has been torn down to the point. And, and I have doubt in my heart now. You know, and the devil's telling me he's going to kill me. And I, it's up to you. Man, that hit me. You know, me, the man of the house, I, you know. And so then I got up the next morning to get on the school bus. I drive the school bus, and I get up pretty early. And I sat there, and I had a talk with the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm going to fast today. I don't know how far I'll get. I'm going to go as far as I can go. And I, I left the house and went and got on that school bus. And if anybody's got kids riding my bus, I apologize to them. Because when I got on that bus, the Lord started pouring His Spirit out on me, and I don't remember getting—I don't remember driving out of that lot or getting back. All I remember, there was just tears pouring down my face, pouring down my face. You understand me? And the Lord just poured out His Spirit on me, and He told me just exactly what to do and how to do it and when to do it. From that point on, He—he just—the—the—the the, the windows of heaven just opened up, and it just poured out on me. Because, see, but you know the good thing about it is I thought about the disciples that were in the boat, tossed in the storm. He didn't come to me at first. He waited till the third hour of the watch before he come walking on the water to me because he was waiting for the right time. He was waiting for a broken and a contrite heart. That's what he was waiting for. He wanted to know. He wanted to know that I was serious about it. He wanted, see, I told Dean this before, and, and, and I think you'll agree with me. Every, every, Great move of God has come out of a desperation of his people. You've got to get in a desperate spot sometimes. Because if you didn't, if you didn't, the reward wouldn't be nearly as great. You've got to pay a price. There's a price to be paid. I don't care. Just like Jesus went on, hung on that cross to pay a price. There's a price to be paid for each and every one of us. For each move of God, we have to pay a price. We have to let him know that we're serious. We, let him, we have to let him know that were, that were faithful. And then he, he revealed to me what the problem was. And, and, and if you could, go to uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And this is, of course, y'all all know, this is my favorite scripture. Anybody's ever heard me get up here before? But he took me back to it. And he says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, against powers and against the powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. I used to think this was the crux of the whole thing right here. Stand, therefore. I thought that's it. 
staying. Having done all to stand, staying. Having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with the preparation of peace, gospel of peace. But here it is, right here. This is it. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's it. Taking above all, take the with the uh, take the shield of faith, the shield of faith. And he told me, he said, what you've done. He said, you're still got the helmet of salvation on. You're still righteous. You still have the sword of the Spirit, and you're using it. But you're using it to no effect because you've dropped your shield. You've lowered your shield. He said, and you've let the fiery darts of the devil infiltrate. Into the fire. And then what, that ta- what that meant was the fiery darts of the devil in those days, you know, they used to put pitch on arrows and shoot them into the enemy. And they'd catch them on fire and they'd burn up. And you, and you just keep taking those, taking those, taking those until after a while you're consumed by it. And that's what was happening to Randy. See, we, we had... What happened was, while we were asleep, the devil was at work. While we were celebrating the victory that we had gotten six months ago, the devil was at work, so we relaxed, see. We didn't quit coming to church. We didn't quit being Christians. We didn't quit being righteous. We didn't quit being saved. We didn't quit any of that. We relaxed, and we just let it down just a little bit, just a little bit. And then fire darts started landing. It come in. It come in the form of a of a cough, and then it come in the form of a of, of a runny nose, and it come in. The, and it, that was just the beginning, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, until after a while, this what started out as just a little thing, was going to kill her. You see what I'm saying? In her spirit, it was going to kill her. And the Lord told me, He said, "What you got to do?" He said, "I want you to go home." He said, "You've got to reach up and get the hand of Jesus." And reach down and get her. He said, you got to reach up and get the hand of Jesus. And reach down and pick her up. And he said, you got to start speaking the word of God in her. And you got to talk to the devil. And tell him, you can't pity patty around with the devil. you got to talk to the devil. you got to tell him. you got to leave. And, and he said, you got to build her up. He said, the first thing you've got to do is build her spirit up. He said, once you, once you reach a hold of me and reach a hold of her, and build her spirit up, then the rest will take care of itself. Once you heal her spirit, you got to heal her from the inside out. And I started. So I, I couldn't wait to get back home. I went back to the house. She was sitting on the couch, and if ever there was a woman that looked like death warmed over, it was her. She had just barely gotten up and gotten out of the bed. Yes, she was beautiful. But I'm telling you, you know, she told me at one point during this time, she went to the doctor, and the lady come in there to take blood, and she looked at her, and she said, I'll be right back. She come back with a mask on. It was that bad now, okay? She was sick. So anyhow, I went home, and she was sitting on the couch, and she just barely made it that far, almost in a stupor. And, and I, I went, and I sat down on the coffee table. Tell me, Lord. And I looked her in the eye, and I told her, I said, God has been with me. God has been with me. Oh, dear Heavenly Father. He had come on me, and I told her, I told her just what I told you. I said, I said, He told me where I went wrong. He said, We've been praying, we've been standing, but we've let our shield fall down. And we're just taking incoming after incoming after incoming. And we can't stem the flow until we raise that shield back up strong. 
I said, then once we raise that shield back up strong, then our feet will be shod once again with the preparation of peace, Father God. Lord, and, he, and, he, and, I, and I told her, I said, I, I, I immediately, first thing I told her, I said, I, I started talking to the devil. I said, I rebuke, I rebuke this sickness. I rebuke it. I said, I'm coming against this cough. I'm coming against this, this nose, this shoulder. I, I, I went on back to shoulders to the stem of the whole thing. I said, I'm going to get it all. I said, he's going to heal it all. And I told her, I looked her in the eye and I took her by the hand and I said, let me tell you something. I said, starting today, you're coming up. I said, you're coming up. And I started speaking it into her. And I wouldn't take no for an answer. And I started coming up, and I picked her up, and I, and I just reached, and I held her, and I told her. That, you know, she, in, in the springtime, this was in February, and in the springtime, she loves flowers. She likes to get out in the yard, and she and I get out there. You know, she's a good supervisor. She tells me, you know, I need you to do this. I, need you. I told her, I said, let me tell you what's going to happen. I said, here in about a month, I said, you and I are going to be out in that yard. It's going to be beautiful weather, just like we've been having. I said, and you're going to be out there, and you're going to be telling me. She said, you know, I need this pot moving over here, and I need to plant this over here. And I said, life's going to be good again. I said, believe me, life's going to be good again. And I said, that new grandbaby that we just got in August that you can't hold because you're too sick, I said, he's going to be coming to stay with us. And I said, life's going to be good again. And I, t and I wouldn't, I refused. I refused to let her or anybody else tell me any different. And I told her, I said, if somebody asks you how you're doing, you tell them you're healed. I said, you tell them you're healed, whether you feel like it or not. And I said, you tell them this. We're just waiting for it to manifest itself. And I tell them, I said, you tell them you're on your way to see the priest. And I said, the closer you get to him, the healed, more healed you're going to be. I said, by the time you get there, you're going to be completely healed. But the, time, the closer you get to him, I said, it's just like the lepers. I said, Jesus told the lepers, go show yourselves to the priest. I said, you tell anybody that asked you, I'm healed, but I'm going to show I'm on my way. I'm walking to the priest. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm walking this thing out. And it's just by faith. It's by the faith. We had dropped the shield of faith. That's what happened to us. And, and I started praying, and it didn't happen overnight. You know, it says, the Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, he don't just jump up and run all of a sudden. It takes a little while. And, and uh, I don't know, it's maybe four or five days later. She got up coughing. It's like she'd backslidden, I mean, you know, she, it, physically. And uh, I said, and I, I could just, I, she was just coughing her head off and it was bad and it's just terrible. And I got up and I said, I ain't having this. I got radical with Satan. I said, I ain't having this. I got up and I, t I started walking the floor. I mean, I, I ain't even got dressed yet. I started walking the floor. And I was, I was just, every time she'd cough, I said, devil, I rebuke you. I rebuke you, cough, in the name of Jesus. And I just kept praying, kept praying, kept praying, kept praying. And about 30 minutes into it, the devil said, if you'll let up a little bit, I'll make her better. And I said, you know, it's written, Satan, that the pleasures of sin are only for a season. I said, he said, well, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow. If you don't, I'm going to build the fire hotter. I'm going to make her sicker. And I told him, I turned on him, and I said, I don't have to consider this, just like the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I said, I'm going to tell you what, Satan. I said, you get behind me. I said, because you're blocking my view of the cross. And I said, just get stepped. I stepped around him. I stepped around him, and I just kept praying, 
kept walking on, just kept praying and kept walking on, and he did. He threw us both into the fire, but let me tell you something. We wasn't in there alone. There was one, and his name is Jesus, and he was standing in there with us. He was standing in there with us every step of the way. And do you smell smoke on me today? Do you? Have you been around me where I smell like smoke? No. And it's just because I raised my shield of faith. I had to raise my shield of faith one more time. You know, and he, I, I want to go to, to Hebrews chapter 10, 36 through 39, since we're on faith. It says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, you know, it's so weird. Because I, I, Wednesday night, Wednesday night we were sitting right back there and Dean was here and he started teaching. And Randy looked over me and said, have you been talking to him? I said, No. And she sat there a few minutes, talked a little bit more. She said, are you sure you had not been talking to him? I said, no, I promise you I haven't. She said, it's uncanny. I said, she said, he, he's preaching what you've been living. I said, I know it. I said, he's been doing it for months. And we had talked about, we had talked about me getting up and giving this testimony and, 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 and this message several weeks ago. And I had to have knee surgery. So we put it off. And he told me, he said, well, you want to do it for knee surgery? He said, well, you, you, can, you know how he said, you can do it on Sunday night. I said, no, I'm supposed to do it on Sunday morning. And I said, besides that, I said, what, I, what I've always done is whenever, whenever I got a victory or whenever I, I, I come close to God, maybe I'd stagger up here, you've seen me and give a word, and then that'd be it. And I'd drift off again. And I said, the Lord's testing me. I said, he, I said he, this is for a reason. The re I've got to postpone it for a reason. I said, he's testing me. He wants to know. If I'm going to drift off again, or am I going to stay close? Am I going to, have to, st am I going to stay close to him? I said, well, the key is to walk. A closer walk with him is what it's all about. And, I, you know, and, and, and I'd get busy. I mean, I wouldn't do it. I, I, like I said, I'm not, I wouldn't be, I'd still, I'd still be saved. I'd still have the heaven of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, but I'd get busy doing this or doing that. Life, life would just take me away. You know, I just let it, I, you know, the devil would just slip in and say, you know, you're too busy, you got to do this, you got to do that. And then I'd let up. Every time. I said, so, so postponing this, Dean, is a good thing. Postponing is a good thing. But I, I just, and go, go on down to chapter 11, 1 and 6. 1 and 6. It says, now faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. Can you see the wind? Can you? I think about, when I think about faith, I think about the wind. Because you can't see the wind, all you can see is the evidence of it. That's all you can see. You know, you can see it blowing in the trees, or you can feel that cool breeze on your face. You know, that's what I equate with faith. You know, you see the evidence of it. In order to see the evidence of it, you've got to get up and move on it. You can't just sit by. If you sit by idle, it's not faith at all. It's dead faith. So you just got to move on it. That's what I got out of that. You got to move on it. It's evidence of things not seen. Go on to the next one. He says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, 
And this is the good part. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Come on now. Come on now. We've got to diligently seek. You can't ever stop diligently seeking. And I don't mean every three days, once a week, on Sunday or on Wednesday night. I mean every minute of every day. Every day. Every time. You, and I've learned. I told, I told Dean the other night, I said, I've been reading about John G. Lake. And I said, I'm learning. I'm learning to stay in communion with God and still operate in this world. That's what he did. He learned. See, he was a, he was a, a John G. Lake before he surrendered to minister was a, uh, I think he was an investment banker, something along that line. And a very successful one. And he learned, instead of just quitting that and going straight into the ministry and starving to death or whatever, he decided that it would be prudent to stay in that business until he got to a financial point where he could and, and even be a blessing. Not, not only would he be uh, relying on others to help bless his ministry, he could do it himself because he was such a, 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 a successful businessman. So he learned, he learned to stay in communion with God and still operate his day-to-day business. And I've learned to do that. I'm learning to do that too. And, you know, and what the key to it is, you just put God first. In other words, you think of God first and foremost while you're thinking of that other stuff. You can separate the two. I'm lear- I've learned to do that in the last few weeks. It's reading about that and studying about that and, 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 and dwelling on that and making a conscious effort to do that. And I don't feed anything into my mind but godly stuff. And this other stuff, everything else that I have to do is just secondary. I still do it. I still do it. You know, I'm still at work. You know, like Scott, when you're out there on the rig, you know, you got certain things you got to do. You got to think about them. But, but God can still be in the forefront of your mind. You understand what I'm saying? He's still in the forefront of my mind. And I've learned to do that. And it's such a lesson to me. And, uh, and I was thinking about the spirit of man. And I, and, and I got to thinking about God loves an underdog. Man, he just, he loves an underdog. You know, and I got to thinking about it on a, this generation may not have seen those old Rocky movies, you know, where you know where he just gets in the ring with this Apollo Creed. He's just bad dude, you know, and he just he's just he can just just whipping everybody, you know. But the one I like, I don't know if any of you've seen it or not. There's a movie called Cinderella Man, and it's about it's about this guy named Jim Braddock in the, in the, during the Depression, and he was a boxer, and he got uh, he got hurt. He hurt his hand. And he's kind of over the hill a little bit. He never was, you know, a top-flight boxer. I mean, he still had a day job, okay? But he 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 boxed. He made some money boxing. Well, he got on over in life, and he he was he, he had a family to support. And it was, but the depression hit. And during the depression, back then there wasn't any government assistance programs like there are now to take care of you if you lost your job and all that stuff. And there were so many people out of work. And you would go down, like on the dock or something. And there'd be just maybe hundreds or so, took a couple hundred, hundred or so men out there to try to get a job. And they would come out, whoever was, was hiring somebody for the they just hired them for a day. They need somebody for the day. And they'd come out and they might pick five or six, maybe 10 out of 200. And they'd say, okay, you, 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 and you. And the rest of them just turned and walked off with nothing. I mean, they didn't have anything. They didn't have any way to get anything. And, his, and, he, and he was doing that because he couldn't box. And his family was going hungry. So you see, he had a cause. He had a cause. You know, and this is, this is I'm, I don't know if this was a godly man or not, but I'm talking about the human spirit. I'm talking about the heart of man. 
and he had a cause. And so he kept working and he kept working. And he finally, he, you know, he worked that hand and he finally got a fight. He knew he could make more money fighting, see. And he got a boxing match. And he, he fooled around and he won a match or two and he, he kind of got himself back up a little bit and he made a little money and they were, they were getting by, you know. And the, 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 the championship boxer of the world at that time was a man called Max Bear. And he was bad. He had killed two men in the ring. Just killed them dead cold. Nobody had ever gone more than a couple of three rounds with him. He knocked them out, and he killed two. And so, you know how these promoters are. They got to thinking, they said, well, you know, this guy's doing pretty good. We can get a little warm-up fight, you know, for, for a champ here, you know, and we can pay this guy, you know, pretty good little purse just to come in and fight him. You know, that's the way that works in the boxing world. And we could promote it because this, is, this guy's kind of a Cinderella story. This guy's kind of made a comeback, kind of from the dead, you know, and he's, he's, doing, a little, he's doing good, you know. And so, so they, they come at him. The promoters did said, you know, we're going to pay you a pretty good, pretty good purse here if you'll come fight the champ. You know, we can make a lot of money out of this. It's a good story, you know. So he agreed to do it, and his wife was death against it. She said, he'll kill you. It's not worth it. I'd rather starve to death than lose you. He'll kill you. He said, no. He said, I'm going to do it. And with, and with the lion's heart, he climbed into that ring, and he went ten rounds with him. Nobody had ever done that before. I think I'm right on my facts. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but he went the whole fight whatever it was. I think it was 10 rounds in those days. And he didn't win because it was, it was a split decision, I think, the best I recall. Of course, he didn't beat him, but I mean he humiliated, he humiliated the champion. He made him mad because nobody had ever done that to him before. But, but think about that. The heart. He had the heart of a lion. And I told Dean the other day, I said, you take a man with the heart of a lion, with a will that he had, and you match it with the Spirit of God, there's nothing there's nothing in this world that he can't accomplish. There's nothing that he can't do. I don't care what it is. That's what we all need to get a hold of. Sometimes we're down and we're knocked out and we've taken body blow after body blow after body blow, just like a fighter. He's hit us and hit us. The devil has punched us and punched us and punched us. And we've been slapped down and slapped down and slapped down, but if we just keep getting up, just like the song said, he'll show up. He's going to show up if we just keep getting up. We just can't not get up. We've got to get up. And let me tell you something. If you're here today and you haven't been able to get up or, or the devil is leaning over you like he was over me and Randy and he's counting down, one, two, three. Well, this is your day. Today's your day. If you're in a place, or if you've been in a place, or if your circumstances has moved you in a place, this is the day. This is the day that you can turn it around. This is the time. This is your time. It don't matter. I don't care what you're facing. It's not too big. It's not too big for God. If you'll just team with Him. If you'll just team with the Lord. And Lord, I, I just, you know, it reminds me of David. Oh, I glory in that story too. David and Goliath. Think about it. David, he wasn't even old enough to fight, okay? He was at home tending his sheep. And the armies of the armies of uh, the Philistines, I'll get it in a minute. The armies of the Philistines and the, and the armies of Israel were raided in the Valley of 
Elah, I think that's it. And the Philistines are on one side, Israel's on the other. Saul was there, Saul was the king. And so David just went out to check on his brothers. His brother was in the army of Israel. He just went out to see if they had food and water and things like that, you know, just see what was going on out there. Well, he gets out there, and he said, what's going on? And his brother tells him, he said, well, there's this Philistine giant over there, and said he's come out on the battlefield and said he's calling for, for us to send somebody out to fight with him. And that if he wins, we're subject, we're, we'll be slaves to them, and if we win, they'll be subject to us. And he said, there's nobody will go, you know. Saul's head and shoulders head are bigger than anybody else. He won't even go. We can't get anybody to go. <laughs> you know. You know what is? You know what David said. He said, "Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause?" He said. He said, "How dare that uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? Think about it." A 17-year-old kid walks out on the battlefield, and, he, and they told him, he said, you can't go against him. He said, Saul told him, he said, you can't go. He said, I'll do it. I'll go out there. He said, you can't go against him. He said, when I tended the sheep, he said, the lions and the bears came and stole the sheep. And he said, I would go and smite them and grab their beards and take the lambs out and retrieve them and go back. He said, the Lord delivered me then. The, the Lord delivered me out of that. He said, and he'll deliver me this day. Saul said, oh, very well, very well. He said, well, let me give you my armor. So Saul, he puts on this big old helmet, his bronze helmet, and he puts on all this stuff. He gives him this sword, and he's so small. I mean, he just be like Stephen with it on. You know, he's just clunking along out there. And he said, this ain't going to work. This is not going to work. I can't carry this stuff. So he just takes it off. He just takes it off. You know why? He realized he didn't need the armor of man. He needed the armor of God. He needed the armor of God. He needed the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. That's what he needed. And, 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 and the shield of faith. So what's he do? He goes over and he starts gathering up a few stones, round stones, smooth stones out of the creek. And he loads up that slingshot and here he goes. He walks out on the battlefield. And the giant is nine feet tall. His armor weighed more than, he weighed 125 pounds. He probably weighed more than, than David did. So he just, he starts scoffing at him and making fun of him. And he starts telling him what he's going to do to him. You know, the devil will do that to you. When you step out on the battlefield, first thing the devil's going to do is make fun of you. He's going to tell you, you ain't got no business here. You know, you're a lightweight. Boy, you're just a little old boy, just a little old ruddy-faced boy. You don't mean nothing to me. He told him, he said, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds before dark. I'm paraphrasing here. He said, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds before dark. And so David, he just, he gave it right back to him. He said, how dare you? How dare you challenge the army of the living God, the servant of the living God? And he loaded up that slingshot, and away he went. He, he hit him right there, knocked him down, went and stood over him. He didn't even have a, a sword. He took the giant sword and cut his head off. Now, I don't know. Steve, come play. I'm about wrapping up. I want y'all to stand. And I, I want you to, and when you stand, I want, I want everybody kind of being quiet. 
And I, it, I, I just, I want to impress upon you the spirit of David and, and how he took on that giant. Lord, I don't know what your giant is. It may be, it may be a health issue. It may be cancer. It may be uh, a birth defect of some kind. It, I don't know what it is. It may be that your family is going nuts. I don't know. You don't know which way to turn. But I do know this. God's here today. And he's here to minister to you. And, and I, just, I just want to pray right now. Lord, every eye closed, every head bowed. Lord, just like, just like with Elisha, Lord. Lord, when he and the servant boy were encamped about. And Lord, the servant boy went outside and he come back to Elisha and he said, he said the, the mountains, the hills were filled with chariots and horses arrayed against us. And Elisha said back to him, he told him, he said, Fear not, for there's more that are with us than are with them. And he prayed to God and he said, open his eyes and let him see. And I pray right now. And he said he was encamped about. Elisha was surrounded about by chariots of fire. And right now, right now I pray, God, that you'll open the eyes of those that are here today. And let them see, Father God, that no matter what, where they find themselves, what kind of situation they're in, Father God, that there's more with them than there are with, with the enemy, Father God. No, I don't care how big their enemy is, Lord. I don't care. It doesn't matter what their giant is. There are giant slayers in this room today. There are giant slayers in this room today. If you'll just take up your shield of faith and begin to believe and begin to see, you've got to see your situation change before you can believe it. I just pray right now that you would show them, Lord, that you would show them, you would show them, Father God, a, a healed relationship. You would show them a healed loved one. You would show themselves that they're healed, Father God. Whatever it is, the finances, I don't care, it doesn't matter. For you died on the cross so we may have everlasting life and we may be healed. And Lord, right now, I just pray if there's anybody here, anybody in this house, that needs prayer, Lord, they would come to the front, Father God, and come to these altars right now, Lord, and realize that you're willing. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.